Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, the podcast about all things assisted reproductive technology. I am Jennifer White, and I am here with my always effervescent and <laughs> host, Ellen Trackman. Yes. Hello. Hi. So, Ellen. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you have any stories of perseverance when you have not given oh, up? Uh, yes, I have one. Um, huge success. No, it's a very minor story. But uh, when I was young, I'm trying to think how old I was, maybe 13, 14, I don't know, young-ish, and I had started taking Taekwondo, the martial art, and I was probably one of the first colored belts, like maybe a yellow belt. And they said, oh, we're doing this demonstration for, I think, Boy Scouts maybe. And they're like, everyone should come. So I went to this and they're like, okay, we're going to have you break a board. And I had never broken a board before. And, like, and I was like already practicing my sidekick. And I got up there and he's like, no, I want you to do a roundhouse, which was a harder kick, harder way to break a board. And I kicked it and I hurt my foot and it didn't break and kicked it again, didn't break. And I think it was like my fourth try when it finally broke. I was like kind of traumatized by the embarrassment of the Boy Scouts. And, but no, I'm not done. I'm not done. So that, so that was a little embarrassing. So then years later, when I was finally testing for my black belt and they have you break three boards together with a foot, you know, with a kick and then three with a hand (laughs) strike, um, I chose, so most people would do the sidekicks. It's easier I was like, no, I am doing the roundhouse. Nice. Just um, to prove like to myself after that, um, after that incident. But they do the test in reverse. So this like big wig taekwondo guy before me was going up for like third degree black belt. And he was the only one who was also brave, stupid enough, whatever way to classify it to do a roundhouse. And he went up and he broke his foot literally like in the <gasps> test. He went to kick the boards and broke his foot. And I was like, oh, oh my no. And then I was up after that. And I was like, oh, maybe this is a bad idea. But I was like, no, <laughs> I'm going to do it. Nope, going to do it. And I did it. Like one strike and they all broke. And I was like, whoo, no broken foot. It happened. But poor guy. Awesome. I think he's okay Woo-hoo, now. Good job. It's okay. Years later, I think he's fine. Right? How, like, I think his foot healed. But how about you? No. I feel like you probably have better stories of perseverance. <laughs> I don't know if it's perseverance or if I'm just really bullheaded and yes, <laughs> don't give up on so? it. Yeah. Oh, is that also called perseverance? Yeah. Wait. <laughs> um, so uh, when we moved to England, uh, I went to my daughter's PTA and they were actually about to disband the PTA due to lack of interest. Uh, so they were actually like at the last meeting and they had voted. It was the first one I'd ever been to. And they were like, yeah, because nobody will step up and be the chair. Uh, they said, we are just going to disband and we're just, we'll find somewhere to give the money to. And I, afterwards, very quietly, I said, um, I, I will do it if you will take me. I mean, I'm an American and I don't know anything about, you you know, like how you do these things. And they said, okay, you know, of course they were. <laughs> uh, and I said, okay, well, what have you guys been working on and what, what are your goals? And they said, well, you know, and I talked to the principal of the school and she said, well, we don't have a playground at the school. And I said, I said, well, 
I, that's what I'll do. And she said, that's not possible. She said, there's so much money. You know, it's, it's just not, she said, it's, it's what we want in the long run. But she said, we were, we're talking like 10 or 15 year plan. Like, this is what we're hoping the PTA can do. And she's like, just, just kind of keep it going is what she was hoping for. And I said, no, I, I will do it. Um, and I did. <laughs> so uh, not only did I do it, uh, not only did I get them one playground, uh, they have two sides of the school for the littler kids and the bigger kids. Um, I managed to get them two playgrounds. Amazing. So before I left. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. And, and they actually named, so uh, they named it for to me. work with you. So this is how you make yeah. things happen. But yeah, and the big part that they named the playground for you. They named the playground for me. So yeah. So I, I have a playground name for me in England, which is uh, kind of a cool little super thing. Impressive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, that would be my story of perseverance. Okay. Speaking uh, of yeah. perseverance and impressive people, yes. today's guest certainly embodies that. So without further ado, welcome Stephanie Jones to the show. Stephanie, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so Stephanie connected with us initially about advocacy. So we're very excited to go into her efforts with advocacy and really what motivates her and that whole process of really wanting to change the law and trying to make a difference. But before we go into all that, I we would love to dive into your story of what got you to the place where you wanted to, to change the law. Stephanie, first, just to establish some background, where do you it's live? Like yeah. yeah. Where do you live? <laughs> what do you do? Do you tell us about your, your dreams to be a parent? Okay. I <laughs> I'm terrible at intro questions. Everyone like, the worst at the starting question. I know, right? <laughs> no, that's really, you know, I love that. So I am from uh, mid-Michigan. I'm from the Flint area. Uh, so fantastic things do happen in Flint besides of, you know, whatever pe other people hear. Um, so I <laughs> am from, I'm from this area, raised in this area. I initially started my career as an automotive engineer. Um, I eventually evolved into entrepreneurship. And from there, I now run um, a couple of different companies that are um, all basically women ran um, marketing. I have an investments company. And then also I do business and executive coaching. So we'll put links to you on the episode as well. So if anyone wants to check out your coaching or anything else, they can check it out. Where did your fertility or infertility or however, which word you want to use for it? How did that journey start for you? I was married in 2011 to my husband. We've been married since then. And if it weren't for this lovely needle point that someone made me for our wedding, neither of us would ever remember that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a great story. I'm totally going to digress and, and hijack yours. My husband has to have a security clearance for work. And the FBI always has to come and recertify him every few years. And he got a call once after his recertification. And they were like, sir, are you really <laughs> sure that, that is what your wedding anniversary is? And he had to go back and find our marriage certificate to prove that he had, in fact, given them one day off on the day oh, we got married. No. <laughs> so, it's, so it's not just us. It's not just you. No. So sorry, I didn't mean to hijack yours, okay. but you're not we, alone. We actually <laughs> celebrated our wrong anniversary for two years until my very geriatric grandmother sent us a card and corrected us. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> so, so we were married and we were together for quite some time, married in 2011. Um, I honestly never even really envisioned having children. I just was always so career focused and, you know, CEO minded and what I was doing. And then I met my husband and that all changed. And I realized when you love somebody wholly and what their dreams are kind of also become your dreams. So like I said, I was very driven, did my MBA, was working hard and kind of waited like a lot of women do until my early thirties to start considering even having children. So because infertility or fertility issues, whatever you want to call it, you know, in my mind, that happens to everybody else. It doesn't happen to me. I'm healthy. I'm active. We have no history in our family of any type of infertility or fertility issues. So it was just something that wasn't even on my radar. So we, and I say this in a way, and I almost could, you know, like want to go back and kick myself. So when we decided to start considering having kids, it was like one month of unscientific trying and we were pregnant and we had with my son who is now turned six. He'll so just unfair yesterday. <laughs> for for as, I know, right. I mean this, so for, and that's the thing is I'm very sensitive yeah. to now be on the other side of it. I mean, it was just like, Oh, I, I think I'm pregnant. Oh, we're pregnant. And it was just this bizarre experience. Had no complications except for I had some kidney stones and I had to have, I had had microinvasive cervical cancer prior to like in my early twenties from the godforsaken HPV, which everybody I feel like has, but everybody has it. So I had microinvasive cervical cancer. So they had to do a very aggressive cold night conization. So I had to have a cerclage for my son. But that was really the only complications. I had him just El Natural. He was a gigantic baby, like all of those things. So fast forward and my husband, and I feel like my son turned three and we finally like got our sea legs around even having a kid. I mean, we're not, I'm not a Disney mom. I'm not, I don't try to, I'm just, we're seriously kind of a mess 95% of the time, but we're great parents. I feel like, so my husband travels for a living. I'm busy. So Anyways, we decide we're going to have more kids. So again, we're like, well, it was so uneasy. The go round again, super naive. We thought, what? this right, is so like, simple. Try once, so we're done. Yeah. We, it took us a little while. So now I'm probably when that happened, that would have been 2016. Gosh, how old would I have been? I'm going to be 37 coming up. So I would have been 34. Is that right? Yeah. It's okay. It's not, so a, it's not a math show. Then. You're okay. And... <laughs> No problem. I decided to think I am, I, I am an engineer by trade. So, you know, my brain is thinking that way. Okay. So I was 34 at that time. So we got busy, literally getting, trying, and I wasn't getting pregnant and I got really frustrated. So I went to my OBGYN who is my angel who, which I'll get to ended up saving my life in 2016. But, um, you know, she was like, Stephanie, she's like, you're, you're, you're not a spring chicken. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like in fantastic shape. I work out every day. She was like, yeah, but your ovaries aren't. Uh. She's like, she's like, this is going to take some time. Be patient. So she's like, stop obsessing over it. And I'm like, huh, okay. That's I'm a little super easy to say somebody who is not trying to get pregnant. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, you know, but she went through her own fertility struggles and stuff. So I'm like, okay, I take, she's, you know, she's never steered me wrong. So I'm like, great. So I go home and tell my husband, I'm like, well, I guess we're just going to be real busy. <laughs> so, um, I kind of lost sight of it. And that was in October timeframe. So early December comes around and I'd had this weird cycle, like a weird ish kind of period that I was like, Ooh, what's that? But 
And I'm super vigilant because of the microinvasive cervical cancer. Like I'm always like, oh, is everything okay down there? So I go to the doctor. She looks everything. She's like, I don't, everything looks fine. She's like, it was probably just like a quirky hormonal thing. And she's like, but we'll do a quick ultrasound and stuff. And nothing came up. That was December 8th. On December 23rd, I was sitting at my um, snack bar, our bar island in our kitchen eating. Um, No, December 28th, excuse me. December 28th was the day. I was sitting there eating scrambled eggs and all of a sudden this extreme abdominal pain. And I was like, oh my gosh, I thought my appendix erupt because I had been overindulging over the holidays. I mean, I had just been overindulging. (laughs) I kind of thought... Does overindulging cause appendicitis? Does it cause your appendix to erupt? (laughs) Well, in my mind at the moment, I was like, oh, you know, anytime when you're in massive pain, you justify it or something, right? (laughs) I mean, still, the logic behind it is very shoddy. I'm going to be honest. Like when I was like, oh, my my appendix erupt. I mean, at that point, I mean, I'm still like, like, I mean, I'm pretty savvy. I didn't put two and two together, but I was, I, I kind of thought I might be pregnant, but it was around the holidays. And I'm like, who has time for a pregnancy test? And like, it's nothing after having one pregnancy already. I'm like, they don't even do anything until you're, I don't even know, like 12 weeks long. You don't even see the doctor. I'm like, I'm not in any rush. You know, I was like not boozing it up and I was being conscious about that, but I was just whatever. So, and I just, you have to remember, I just went to the doctor on December Eighth, and they were, or December, right in there, and they were like, "Oh, you know, everything's fine." Not saying like you're pregnant or anything. Right. I'm like, "Great." So I'm like, my appendix dropped. So I tell my husband, I'm like, I need to go. I first was like, I'm going to go in the bathroom. I'm like, okay, nothing's happening. I'm like, I need to go to the hospital. Something's not right. Get our son to the sitter, and we'll go. Yeah. So at that point, I made a very crucial decision. We have three hospitals in my area, and I picked the one that's like the Hilton of hospitals. Mm-hmm. Not known for their best like trauma care, but very nice. You get what I'm saying? Hmm. So that's where Justin, he takes me there and they wheel me into triage. And I'm now like really in a lot of pain, more pain. And I have an extremely high pain tolerance. So I'm like, okay, something's not good, but I still put two into the other. The guy, the ER doctor comes in triage and he goes, he looks at me, he's like looking me over and he was like, is there any chance you could be pregnant mm-hmm. in that exact moment? My life changed. Like that was the moment where it hit me and I just got goosebumps telling this. It hit me and I realized what I was experiencing was not my appendix erupting. It was something much worse. But at this point, I didn't really quite know what had happened. I thought, oh my gosh, like a tubal ectopic, something along those lines. But I, I was not going, like my mind was still not where I was headed. So and I, and I get my husband and he's like, it's, he's a dude. Like, he's like, what? Huh? Like, you know I mean? He's very um, like wonderful, but he doesn't, that's like, guys don't know that stuff. They're like, what's happening? Vaginas? What? Like he doesn't get it. So right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's just fascinated. I do. <laughs> so he, they wheel me back in, into like the little room and I'll never forget. I'm like in a wheelchair wearing not so attractive looking clothes because who's planning on December 28th, you know, you're in like hunker down mode. Right. And in this little curtain and I start, I'm I look at my husband and I'm like, I'm going to pass out. And I just remember that was it. I started losing consciousness. The next day I know it's like every single bells and whistles going off and I'm laying in a, in a room and they're bringing me back to con- like consciousness and they're doing wow. a bedside ultrasound. And long story short, I realized at that time they diagnosed me with a corneal ectopic pregnancy. So 
that is a very rare, it's like a one in a million thing where the pregnancy, it's not tubal, but it implants in the corner, very, very corner of your uterus. And why it's very, very, very dangerous is because your uterus is a muscle and it's, there's tons of blood vessels. So when that ruptures, you um, run the risk of hemorrhaging. So at that point, if you go back to where I said I had went to the Hilton of hospitals and I hadn't gone to a hospital that was trauma, very no, well known for their trauma, it was not treated in the emergent situation that it was because just they're like a glass. As my doctor finally eventually told me, you know, they're a glass half full hospital, not a glass half empty. Um, so at the point where now I'm hemorrhaging and there, and I happen to be, um, B negative, my blood type. So that's another radiation fusions. The only thing they could find right in the ER was, Oh, so crazy. I'm getting, Oh, I mean, it's just like, so I now I've now lost over 60% of the blood in my body, which is even how is that possible? And it's all in my abdomen. So I end up, ex- that's when I experienced my near death experience of basically being over myself, looking at everything happening, watching a nurse from the actual, um, who had just come out of nowhere. She ended up going and calling my doctor on her cell phone because she knew her. She had just oh. delivered her twins in, oh. in to not, in the, and I don't want to go wow. down the, the rabbit hole of near death experiences, but in that moment I was, I was actually in the hallway with Dr. Boyke was her name calling my doctor, Dr. Scott. Like I, I was, yeah. I mean, I heard their conversation. I can repeat their conversation back to my doctor, which is like my doctor said, I have goosebumps talking about it. She said, she's like, she goes like, she honestly, she was like white girl, thir- mid thirties, Stephanie Jones. I just saw her in my office and the Dr. Boyke, the resident at the hospital was like, yes. And mm. she's going to die. Like you have got to get here. So, oh, wow. so, wow. um, I have no, after that, I have no recollection of what happened. My, um, the last thing I remember is I, the elevator doors opening into the OR and my doctor, Dr. Scott grabbing my hand and saying with tears in her eyes, you could see the fear. Like you could just see it. She said, we, we've got this. And after she was, she was able to single-handedly save my life. She, um, ended up buying every single resident in the operating room, new shoes because of just the, um, yeah, because of the amount of blood. I mean, it's crazy. So I recovered in ICU. I, um, spent a long time because actually receiving that much blood transfusion is, very, very, very traumatic to your body because it's your body has to filter it and catch your antibodies to it. So it's similar. It's it's just very, very daunting. So, okay. So we, I, we get through that. We get through an extremely traumatic, scary, scary, scary time. Um, and we, my husband and I are now like, well, can we have more children? I mean, this is what got us here. And we, so a year, about a year and a half after that had happened, I'm you know, we're pretty persistent. So I went to the doctor and she's like, she's like, well, I, she's like, let me wrap my head around this, you know, one of those things. So I go back and she was like, but I don't want you to call me or to think about this until you're, you're at least 18 months out from this, Stephanie. She was like minimum. So don't call me. I, I mean, you know, <laughs> always like, you're like, doctor's like, don't call me. <laughs> no, she's, she's, she's an absolute bad. I mean, she's a badass. She's fantastic. She's a, my angel. So 
got back on board with it, went back. She's like, well, here's what we have to do. So we met all these specialists, so on and so forth. And everybody did all the dye studies and every single thing. And the thing about corneal ectopic pregnancies are there's not a lot of them that obviously occur. So there's not a lot of data and research around them saying, could you carry another pregnancy um, safely after experiencing that? So the data and research that they had said, you sh- you can, um, as long as you don't have contractions, meaning risk the, the rupturing where the where they basically fix your uterus from the rupture, which just happens at the top of your uterus. So, okay. C-section. Yeah. So you're the, like, yes to pregnancy. So, yeah. So like, so a C-section, the incisions at the bottom of your, of the bottom of your uterus. So what happened to me, which is, is at the top of the uterus, which is actually where your muscle is doing all of the work. Say, okay. And we're like, obviously it's going to take us much longer to get pregnant because now I'm 35 and I have one fallopian tube. The other one was removed. So it's just going to take time. So we just put on our like patient's faces and we were like, we can do this. So we just, you know, get busy again. I think my (laughs) husband was happy about that. So we get busy. (laughs) We get busy again. And we, so my husband travels for a living a lot and he's gone the whole month of October. So I, in September, we get a positive pregnancy test. We're not saying a word to anybody. Um, my doctor is monitoring me like a hawk every like once a week, twice a week. She finally, I've gotten the beta test, all the test, test, test. She's doing ultrasounds. I go in for an ultrasound and she's like, doesn't really say a whole lot. She sends me directly to the maternal fetal medicine doctor at the trauma based hospital here. Oh, without saying anything. Oh my God. Mm. Without saying, she's not telling you what's happening or she's not. No. I mean, cause at that point they're in office ultrasound equipment's only so good. Like they need the really, really, really good imaging that they have at the hospital. So she sends me there and you know, after doing scans, doing scans, the doctor walks in and he tells me that, and I'll never forget. It was the most, it was the most I've never experienced that. Like when people say it feels like just the air was taken out of your lungs, you're like that punch in the gut feeling. Well, he said, you have another corneal ectopic in this exact same place. He's like, I, he's like, it's unexplainable. So oh my God. I, my husband's gone. Let me back. He's, he's traveling. He can't come home. I mean, if it were like an emergent, this is t- like dire situation, he could come home, but he couldn't come home. His job just wouldn't allow it. So it's me and my parents, God bless them, they're close by. And I'm going into surgery to now have my second pregnancy removed, basically my second pregnancy aborted. Because that's the only way they fix it. They just remove the where it had implanted. You just can't be pregnant anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, and I remember like talking to my husband before I had even went into surgery and this is the surgery for it. It's a pretty major abdominal surgery, just in terms of the incision and so on and so forth. Going into surgery, and I said, like, we're gonna go through surrogacy. Like, that's how we're gonna do this. We're gonna like I just wow. Like it just not even done with sur- with the surgery. You've decided. Like, yes. Because it's just one of those things where I I'm like made the decision. Nowhere, yeah. so you know, no nowhere in my wildest dreams was I about to get the education I did about. <sighs> wanting to proceed with surrogacy in the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, nowhere. You didn't know like, any details. Was, you just were like, we're doing it. <laughs> I couldn't even rationalize. I mean, I know we're Midwestern and yeah. things move a little slower here. I get that. But I mean, obviously I by no means thought that we would live in one of the only states in the entire country where compensated surrogacy is illegal, <sighs> meaning right. there's a law written against it. 
so we, and my doctor, she's on board with helping, you know, whatever she can do and so on and so forth. So I start calling around and, and all these fertility clinics are like, we don't do surrogacy. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? I start re- So then we find an attorney um, that basically explains to us it's, it's illegal in the state. Yeah. At that point, we were terrified. Like we were crushed. I mean, we're talking big sobbing alligator tears crushed. Wow. And I'm not a crier. Like I just, but it was devastating. It was devastating to me because I carried a lot of guilt around our, which I imagine a lot of women share this, is the guilt associated with um, fertility issues that have nothing to do with your partner. It's hard. Yeah. It's like nobody, you're not alone, but it's hard to not feel sometimes alone in those moments. Yeah. I'm like, he didn't choose this, you know? I mean, he didn't, although, I mean, he's my husband and you know, we love each other dearly. Like he would never, he would be so mad. You know, he's like, don't say that. I hate when you say that. But secretly, I mean, I had a lot of guilt associated with it. So we made the progress in terms of getting through the very scariness of not being able to partake in surrogacy in our state. And we started researching, okay, what are our options? And, you know, that's when our eyes got really open to the fact that we are very fortunate. My husband and I just, we, we have supportive families financially. We were able to swing it like on our own, um, with some support from others, but we fall in a very small categories of people, a category of people here in Michigan because of the, because everything has to be done out of state every single thing is out of pocket, even your initial screening, all of those things. So it really adds an element to the surrogacy cost that we wouldn't have to absorb if we could do it in our state. You know, the travel alone, we'll have 20 plus thousand dollars probably in travel when it's all said and done. Yeah. Because every, you know, and that, so that, so that's kind of where I became very passionate about once we got through all the very scariness of getting matched with a carrier who were super, super. And so I was going to say, we, 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 we should go back and talk about that. Cause like, that's a whole part of your journey too, right? Cause you, you don't know what you don't know, like when you're starting off with surrogacy and you obviously, all you knew was that surrogacy was a thing. And like, as you just decided to do it. So how how did you, yeah. how did you go through that process? Well, and that's a great question is, um, you know, again, it's not common in Michigan surrogacy. I don't know anyone in this. I don't know anybody that has been through surrogacy, even through six degrees of separation in the state, you go to someplace else. And it's like talking about like going to target. I mean, people just know somebody that is a surrogate or an intended parent and it's, it's just normal. So we, started on this journey and just by the nature of I'm like how my brain works, it's very scientific and how I need to, I'm a fact finder by just my nature. So I needed to know everything. I needed to know the whys, the hows, the legality of it. Like this is just everything. And by doing that, I started to pull together what's the cost of surrogacy, so on and so forth, which, you know, that's a huge, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a huge expense and it's a, the anxiety around it is very, very, very scary. I mean, I'm very open. My husband and I will be close to probably $130,000 into this process. And that's without having a baby yet. You know, there's still those unknowns. So for us, it was very scary. So we thought, well, we'll save money and we will, we'll find a carrier ourselves. We'll go to these Facebook groups. We'll go to the online matchups and so on and so forth. And we'll do this. 
because, you know, I mean, at that point, I mean, you're, you're just trying to figure it out and you think, and all you see is this giant price tag. That's like insane. And you're just like, Oh my gosh. I mean, we're sweet just as a couple are very frugal. So for us to think this, it's like, so we decide we're going to find our own carrier. And after four failed attempts, well, three on our own and one with um, just a mismatch in terms of agency mismatch, that had really nothing that any party could do about it. It was just a fluke. We ended up, so prior to our three failed matches, we ended up realizing the value of using an agency and using an agency that has properly screened. And when you say a failed match, is it because someone kind of volunteered or you thought they were a good fit and they medically didn't qualify or was there another reason? Yeah. So two medically and one was just not mentally like they weren't weren't just, it wasn't like they were, I don't want to say they were not, I mean, they were not mentally unstable. That's not my point. They just weren't mature enough. They just weren't mentally mature enough to be in the process. So I'll go. So we decided we're going to, you know, we're going to do all this. So we, at this point, we had just by a fluke met this intended parents in Indiana and the woman was super helpful and she kind of gave what information she could, but really there's not an easy path for an intended parents to follow in terms of finding your fertility clinic and all those things. A lot of it is just kind of research and figuring it out on your own and finding what works best for you and so on and so forth. I mean, they, people make recommendations, but that's about it. They can't say like do X, do Y, do Z, you know, it's going to get you here. So we ended up going with ORM in, in Portland. So um, ORM, which was formerly Oregon Reproductive Medicine, we ended up getting matched or we ended up meeting and consulting with Dr. Bankowski via Skype, which, you know, the emphasis of any intended parent listening to this, I can tell them on the relationship with your fertility clinic. If, if it's, it's equally as important as the relationship with your carrier. And I don't know if that sounds like about what that's important advice. Yeah, that's important. No, I think that's really, I, I always, that's one of my pieces of advice is always like, make sure that you really like the nurses and the staff and the team whenever you go to a clinic. Cause that is a huge, huge, huge relationship for you. Make sure you like the doctor, make sure you like yeah. the, you know, make sure you like their protocol, make sure you like how they talk to you, how they communicate. I would say communication is the biggest thing. I mean, we interviewed four different fertility clinics and I think I, when I spoke to you briefly, I, I felt like I was calling to have a garage door installed at my house. I mean, it was just like either they didn't call me back at all or I called and I got like the front desk and I was just in the route of all the other calls. And the thing about intended parents listening to this is when you're a surrogate, when you're going through surrogacy, you need a clinic that specializes in surrogacy. And why that is is because they have their own complete department, kind of, I like to call it, that handles the intended parents and the carriers. Each each party has their own advocate. I mean, it, in my opinion of the how we experienced it. So I was never worried what was going on with our carrier and never had to communicate the information. She had her own, you know, she had her own advocate that she could go to with questions and advice. And if herself. anybody needs the magic words for what that is, it's almost always the third party section of a clinic. So just just to give somebody ma- the magic words, that, that's not always the case, but it's almost always called the third party group of, a, of any medical group. 
Right. And honestly, I think like if there is, thank you for putting the word, I knew there was a word out there, but think it's like, if there isn't a third party, like then I would consider why you're, you know what I'm saying? Cause it's means they're not doing enough surrogacy to probably warrant having that type of operation in their, in their clinic. I, I don't know. I'm not an expert. I'm just saying for us, something to consider that I wish somebody would have said to me from the get go, call and say, do you have a third party team? Do you have a team that only handles surrogacy? Um, it would have saved us probably a month of consultations and all this. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. I don't hear that perspective that often either. So I like to hear that that's, that's a really great way to interview clinics. It's it's, and also do you do a, like for us was, we were trying to get consultations and one, I won't name where or what, but they, they said, great. Yeah, we'll do, we'll schedule with the consultation. It's on Tuesday at this, it's going to be $279. And I'm like, I'm like, we're, we're like, we're in a different state. I don't even know if I like you. Like, can I, how do I know if, you know, so that's a really important component of it too. And I think when people think of cost, you know, that's another back to the whole thing of why we were trying to, we were like, Oh, we're going to save some money and do it on our own. And we're not going to use an agency and so on and so forth. And we're going to get the right legal advice and blah, blah, blah. So the thing about it, when we looked at the clinic is, you know, what one, what this, the one we went with was a little bit more expensive than other ones we were looking at, but in the grand scheme of it, I would have paid quadruple the difference in price to have the quality of care we received. So we were at, we were in the kind of in the, the pipeline with ORM getting all of our pre-screening stuff done and so on and so forth. So we were kind of getting to the point where we were going to be like ready to make our embryos. Like we were getting to that point. And after working the first person, they said they mentally were not mature enough to handle the process. They couldn't even get did that you paper find back that, to ORM. So did you find that person? So you said you were going to try to do that yourself. So yes. You, how did you find that person just out of total curiosity? Sorry, that was not to be just through like Facebook match meetup groups, which I know probably makes your skin cringe, like just cringe. No, I see people successfully do it all the time. I mean, yes, in some ways there are definitely hazards and pitfalls you should look out for, but definitely those are successful Mm -hmm. ways to meet people. So no, don't, don't think that at all. Yeah. Okay. But as first time intended parents, you don't need, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you you, don't know. Exactly. (laughs) You, you don't know those hazards and pitfalls as second, like second going do effort doing a second journey, that might be an option, but I would, but you just don't know. So, and it kills my soul to see some of these, um, intended parents that are first time intended parents in these groups that are like asking questions that I'm like, Oh, you, you guys, I just, I want to reach out and be like, do yourself a favor and find a good agency. But, but it's hard cause it's expensive too. So, you know, but also we had, which is something I didn't touch on. You know, we had interviewed three different agencies and we, it didn't, it didn't work. It didn't click. Like it was not the right fit. Again, we didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know what type of agency we should have been looking for. We knew now moving forward, we, a more like boutique kind of smaller agency was what we wanted. That is what I needed to be able to call somebody on a Saturday and get talked off the cliff when, you know, we had a scary moment in the very beginning of our pregnancy. Like that's what we needed. So we first person I met in a, in a Facebook group, and, or I, or maybe we made a page kind of telling our story and they reached out. It doesn't matter. It was via social media that didn't work out mentally, just not mature enough. We're able to get her, her paperwork into ORM, like the basic stuff they needed, like, um, 
uh, release of records and so on and so forth, all again, stuff that totally new to me. So eventually the one of the third, the lead of third party care at ORM basically emailed me and was like, I do a lot of this. And if we aren't able to get through this process seamlessly, this should be a red flag. Like I, that's again. Good for her for being a good advocate though for you too. That's the point. Again, going back to that, you need a good fertility, you need to be in partnership with your fertility clinic. So I, we, we killed that one. We were like, we're not, okay, that's not working. So in the process I had met um, through sharing our story and so on and so forth, we had then kind of gotten an outpouring of people that are like, we would love to carry for you and so on and so forth. And of those people, mm-hmm. which was so, which were so fortunate right. and yeah. I'm still so blessed. And we just, I want to just hug every single person that did that, but <laughs> they weren't medically able to get cleared because people do not understand, mm-hmm. especially intended parents. They do not understand the rigorous screening these carriers go through. You basically have to be of perfect health, of perfect age, of perfect mental state, of perfect weight, and have had a perfect pregnancy. Like straight up, I can't think of one person in my circle of people, you know. And want to do it and volunteer. Yeah. And voluntarily want to gift, give the gift of life to somebody. So you have to be fall into kind of like the selfless category, in my opinion. I mean, you, it, it takes a certain person on top of all those medical requirements. Again, I did not know this. So we think we find this one person, oh my gosh, everything's so perfect. And ORM's like, and no. So then we find another. So I had befriended a, somebody through this process who had, had been a carrier. And she, after she had found we had failed again, you know, she's so, and I just, I, I could hug her. She reached out. She said, you know, I talked to my husband. I'd be willing to carry for you guys again. So this is somebody who's carried two or three different journeys, surrogacies, pregnancies. She she couldn't get medically cleared after that because of just a little bit of a questionable like C-section scar or something like that. So at that point, my husband and I were just crushed. We felt defeated. We were just like, it's almost like the world, we had been holding this big boulder on top of us and it finally just got so heavy. It just smashed us. Like we were just, we felt defeated. It wasn't going to happen. And again, ORM reached out to me, called, just called me, going back to the partnership with your clinic and said, again, the head of the reproductive team, I think (laughs) that's like all she called and she was like, I'm going to, she's like, you really should consider an agency. She's like, I'm going to give you a recommendation of three agencies. She's like, I could give you 15 agencies. She's like, but I want that I would, that we work with, or we work closely with, because that's something else we learned is like, it's important to work with the agency that has, has a relationship with your clinic. Cause it makes it a little seamless because they know the people and the players. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not imperative and it's not necessary because everyone's very professional, but I did find that was helpful. So she connected us with a cert, with an agency and it was, it's still kind of fascinating, although I'm a big believer in energetic, you know, connections and quantum energy and all that, like how it worked from that point forward. It's just, I made the phone call and I was completely done like with the email forms the sending them through websites, waiting for somebody to contact me. I was straight up picking up the phone and calling. I mean, I was kind of like, I'm calling like ring, ring, ring. Hi, we need a carrier. I mean, it was, (laughs) it It was just, I was so through all the BS. Like I didn't want to click on 5,000 pages. I like, but I can see why those exist because a lot of times they have to act as just kind of like gates for people that maybe aren't as informed or as serious or quite, 
so for us, like we, we were making embryos, like we needed a carrier and we had our clinic, we had all that. So we got a hold of this particular agency and the person that answered the phone was like the person, like the founder. And it just was weird. Like, she's like, I don't normally answer the phone. It was just, again, the universe putting all of this in place. So, so I'm feeling like my angels are pretty much guiding at this point. So she picks up the phone. She's like, okay. Okay. She's like, wow. Well, normally, you know, this is how this works and so on and so forth. Like we have this big match period and blah, blah, blah. She's like, but you guys are so far into the process and you're so serious. She was like, that obviously is important to us because now we know like what kind of we're working with. We're not getting like tire kickers, I guess is what I was kind of reading what she was saying. If, if that's like such a thing, insert, it is. I'm not sure. It is. Agency, okay. I figured I'm like, cause I think people get the, the, the like cost. And like, so, and I will clarify that it's not necessarily tire kickers. It's the, it's such a hard process and it is so much education level that like, I will find from an agency perspective that I'll talk to parents. And I've said this to people flat out. I was like, I'll talk to you in eight months. And it's not because they're, you know, intentionally don't want to talk to me again, or they're not serious or any of those things. It's that there's so much emotional and mental work that you have to do a lot of the time to get to the point where you're ready to move forward, that you need that time to process the information. So you're generally having that first call and then you need to process and get ready. But it sounds like what she was saying is like, I hear you've already done all the processing. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Thank you for, yeah. for be, saying I don't want to just better. feel like I mean, that we're saying this insulting when people, when they're like, no, no, not this, no, yeah. no, no, no. That's not insulting at all. That's where we were. And for us, you know, the other thing is, is the, which I kind of touched on is a lot of intended parents, you know, you have to wrap your head around the financial component of it. Yes. Like that's, you have, money is a tangible thing. Not that emotions aren't, but you either, like, that's a big thing for people to kind of figure out. Um, You know, like, so let's hope in the future that these costs can go down because we can get a more progressive system in place for handling things through healthcare and stuff. That's a whole different discussion. But she's like, okay, well, here's someone that just, they didn't match properly with, one of the the family before, but would be a really good fit for you, blah, blah, blah. They were local kind of to the clinic that we were using, which was again, from antenna parents listening to this, like travel, 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 everything you do is travel. Like, and not only are you traveling your surrogate out there, you're traveling their support person out there. So their husband or whatever, if they choose so, which, you know, I'd want a support person, even though I'm like a thick skin kind of tough chick. I'd still want like somebody there. And you have to, sometimes you have to. I say some clinics for some procedures require a support person. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing is a lot of people don't realize is, but even for your pre-screening, like your medical, your psych eval and all that, your, your support where you're not getting poked, prodded, looked at or anything like you could, your support person can still go with you. So, which again, that's fan. I want, if that's the case, great. Like we want this, this person's carrying our baby. So whatever keeps her happy, I am on board with it. So we, so that's something to consider. So it was like, oh, okay. There's a little bit of a cost savings that we would have is just the travel and whatnot. Um, but she didn't have, she didn't have insurance. So we would have had to purchase insurance. That's a whole different discussion that would take forever to go through, but it can be very expensive, you know, for intended parents. Jed is the expert on insurance. Anytime anyone has to talk to Jen. Oh. I do love to talk <laughs> about insurance. It is one of my favorite. My least favorite. (laughs) Well, there you go. I I mean, so she, her insurance basically stated that they would not cover any type of surrogacy, but she had insurance. So it's explicitly stated in there. um, 
what is it called? Like your explanation of benefits? Is that what it's called? Like yep. the pamphlet? Okay. Mm-hmm. God, common. Yeah. I just retain some of this. So anyways, mm-hmm. so we're like, okay, that's fine. But at this point you are so, and I, and I want, I want people that, like to truly hear this. Cause I, I can say yep. you have yep, that's exactly like right. the glasses you're looking through are not sane. Like they're not <laughs> sane glasses. You're so fixated on and emotionally invested in like you want this baby worse. Like it's so, so, so difficult. You can't make rational decisions. Like if it's, it's really, really challenging. And if you can more power to you, but it is. I say something similar to this a lot to people too, is that sometimes there's certain decisions you have to make in surrogacy with your head. And you have to make those decisions before you make decisions with your heart, because that's exactly right. Cause you stop being rational when you make decisions with your heart. And, and it's, a lot of them, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an executive life coach. Like I can tell you a, like about just the science behind those decisions and stuff. And a lot of it is fear. It's like when you're in a place of fear, you have, you know, you flee, you fight, you faint. You, there's like the, the things you do that aren't rational. Like you're just not thinking. So for us, it's like, great. Like this, this person was a great match and whatever. And and this is something, so I say this is because this is something that was with, not in my control. It wasn't in our agency's control. It was in no one's control, like between us. And this is why it's important that people hear this is because like you have to have realistic expectations. We're talking about humans, like human people. Uh, the potential carrier was had maybe like her BMI wasn't accurate either on the information she gave or she had gained some weight or whatever the case is. We're we're like, this is our person, read the prof, everything's great. We're getting ready to do our like introduction call. And we get the phone call that's like, I think was hard for everybody, our agency and obviously us was her BMI is too high, which again, intended parents, I like, or anybody who's ever listening to this that is understand what like BMI really is outside of like, it says you're this, this, or this. I mean, and you have to think about it from the standpoint of once I talk to Oram, they're like, so a woman is going to gain weight when she's pregnant, right? Like I, I think the average weight gain, is it like 25 pounds or 30 pounds? That's what it's, I'm not the sure. recommended what is, it? is supposed to be somewhere about. between like 20 to 30 pounds. Yeah. Okay. So they're like, so if your BMI is already high, and then you're going to gain 30 pounds on top of that. They're like, this just sets you up for all these other potential complications. And as intended parents, you want to like the word complications is enough to keep you up at night. It's about reducing risk. So you can start to see now that it's not, it's almost like being, it's like a chess match. Like you're being very, very, very conscious and thoughtful about every single thing. So the emotion side of you is like, yes, 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 yes. But then when you take a deep breath and I can now from this standpoint say it, we're probably really, really fortunate because even if, you know, we would have said, let's just proceed, even though we know RM wouldn't have, cause they already would, they just wouldn't. Um, so as there, no, no matter what clinic they're working with, my point is, is like, they just need to hear that that's really something to consider is it increases risk so on and so forth. Okay. So that didn't work out. And at this point, oh, so many, I, I know. <laughs> what number are we on yeah. now? I forgot. So two, we're on two, right? Four. two, right? Four. We're on four. four. So one wasn't mentally oh. stable. One wouldn't oh, right. pass. 
So oh, three right, on right. our so three on our own, and the the fourth one was with a clinic or with an agency, and it was just a complete fluke. And I don't want people to think that that's normal. I just want them to know, like, it. People are human, so it's not like you're on Amazon buying a TV. I mean, it's like this stuff is just there are many, 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 many um, factors. So then we get this call from the agency, and they're like we just had someone that has been, they had had her own, their own baby and they were nursing her and she was, had been kind of in our roster of carriers and then got pregnant on her with her family, blah, blah, blah. So she's like, she just basically emailed and said that she was ready to kind of get back into the mix. I don't know what you would say, like get back. Um, Matching what process. You, I feel like I'm, I'm ready like, to carry again. Yeah. He's ready to yeah. carry. Matching process. I don't, there we go. Into the game. Right. I'm like, I don't, I feel like I'm like, I don't know. like building like a full, <laughs> right. into the game. Give get me a coach. And she's like, get, me, <laughs> get back in there. So she's ready. And, and basically that's ended. And it just was the universe, like making this exact perfect match happen. And we, we're in Michigan and she's in Kentucky, which for us is a drivable distance it's very manageable in terms of like when we have a baby and we're bringing a baby home, this is something else intended parents need to consider. Obviously, unless you're international, whatever the case is, like you have to get that baby home. So plane rides, whatever the case is. I mean, I need like three vodkas to get on a plane. So I don't know <laughs> if like that is, you know. <laughs> well, and, like, and some of it, it's not even always just about getting the baby home. It's not like you just fly out, you stay for two days and you go back. What? What happens if the baby needs to be in the NICU and you have to stay there for a while? You know, there's a lot of a lot of things. And for some people, that's totally within their financial tolerance. But for others, it, it's not. But you have to think about that when you're budgeting. Right. Or just booking a plane ticket. I mean, there's a million things. So um, and we also, you know, for us is like we wanted to be almost as natural as an experience as it would be as if I were the one having the baby. So what would be really natural is obviously to have like our really close people there, like my parents, you know, my husband's mother, who we're very close with, like our people. And this allows us just to have them there, like they'll be able to be there. And so these are all, again, things intangibles and things that I don't know if people consider as they're in this matching process because they need to consider all of that, like outside of the emotion of like, just get me somebody that I really like to carry my baby who's like normal and cool and is going to be an amazing carrier and take good care. You know, like they need just to think things. all of it. Right. Just, just all <laughs> healthy and, you know, fit, blah, blah, blah. So young, <laughs> perfect uterus, perfect. Oh, anyways, so fluffy. <laughs> Fluffy lining, I think that's what we were praying for. I can't recall. Yes, so fluffy lining, that's correct. Fluffy <laughs> sticky lining. So um we our carrier is um and I wish I could I wish I could just I wish I could give her more attention and more obviously acknowledgement than I can, but she is she is an extraordinary human. I could not energetically have been matched with a better female, a better woman. She's a professional. So for me, energetically, like she shares a lot of the same. She's super chill, very level-headed, not high mate, all these things that you're like, oh my gosh. And she's just really, and she's super funny and she's got a great personality. Although she thinks she's awkward, she's not. She's amazing. So So matching criteria, you also need to be hilarious, you know, no pressure. (laughs) Yes, you need to know when to send the right emoji uh, and right. gift because it's pretty funny. But 
The other thing is, is, you know, it, early on in our procure week, again, something nobody ever told me ever is there's this thing called a subchorionic hematoma, right? Yes. We frequently. Yeah. Okay. Well, like nobody told me that's a thing. Like nobody. So what happens is when you're, what, when you are like in the very early stages of pregnancy and you see a lot of blood, you're like, oh, it's a miscarriage, right? Like, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, this is like a lifetime, it's like lifetime movie stuff. It's like yeah. A equals B equals C. And, there's and no- given your own history and, and given the history of many intended parents, when that happens, that's absolutely the first place your brain goes. And I remember it was, a I had, it's a, not to get off, but I had found a kitten driving home from, we had been down in Ohio, driving home in a, just for a work trip, found a kitten at a gas station. I had a kitten in a freaking crate that I had oh my God. borrowed from a gas station. <laughs> it's next to me, like driving in a car, in a, in like a cargo vehicle with basically just me in a seat. Anyways. And I get this text message. The cat, the kitten is now wanting out of the crate and it's like crawling on me. I'm allergic to cats. And I get this text message that's like, you know, I've had steady bleeding since blah, 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 blah. And since this and da, 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 da. And I'm like in that, it was just that it's all that, that feeling that I had back in the maternal fetal medicine doctor's office of like that gut punch, that air, it was happening again. And luckily, again, this is me saying like, we have a smaller agency, a little bit more of a boutique relationship. And I was able to make contact with them and say like, basically what's happening, what is going on. And they were like, there's, it could be an SC or a SCH. And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, it's basically like where the implantation, the embryo moves and it leaves a bruise. And then it's like an exposed vessel and it makes a pouch of I blood. describe it like a blood, ve- like a blood blister. You know, like if you get a blood, if you pinch your finger and you get that blood blister, it's kind of like that. It was like, yes. Yeah. So, and she's like, it's very well could be that, but Okay, back to things is our. Um, I had to get Rogam when I carried my son. Our carrier has a negative or has a negative blood type, so they had. She had to get. She the big concern at this point now was, and of course, was always her health. And so again, because we have that great relationship with RM, we were able to contact them, and they said, you know, at this point, you're going to want to go get a Rogam shot because they don't know at this point they can't diagnose this, and it was almost at the point where again, people don't tell you it's could be too early to even find it on an ultrasound to find a heartbeat on an ultrasound. So she ends up going to the ER again. That was not in our budget, right? When we're budgeting all of these things, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. She, but although she does have insurance that co- that is a cover surrogacy, it's a very high deductible, but still she ends up in the ER and, you know, I get basically, I'm just waiting on pins and needle, not trying to be like, tell me what's going on. Tell me what's going on. Like I wanted to be just, I figured she has fantastic judgment. She's super level-headed. She'll reach out when, when it's appropriate, you know, and the next thing you know, I get a text and it's like, here's your baby's heartbeat. And I could cry right now just telling you the story. So, and it like makes me a little teary eyed just telling the story. As I look at our little ultrasound picture, she's like, here's her heartbeat. And that's the first time that I, that I heard our, heard our daughter's heartbeat. Like that was, Oh my God. And but to come from such a scary situation to, to that. And it was like the first moment I have to be honest in the whole process where I felt like we're going to be okay. Like I really felt this relief that we had been holding our breaths. I, I told everybody it was like, my analogy is 
you know, when you see firefighters with like that mask on and they're sucking air and it's like, and you just, it's a labored breathing. That's how I felt we had lived since, you know, we started on this journey from my recovery to, it was like, it was there, but not quite tangible or was just a little out of our reach. So we, um, you know, so now we're next, um, next Friday we'll be six months pregnant. Oh my God. So I know. And so through that journey, you know, I vowed that why I was given a second chance at life, um, was because nobody can explain why, right. When you look at paper is I really feel like I was meant and given this opportunity as an advocate in our state, in the state of Michigan, to make sure the laws around surrogacy are changed. So I have, um, I kind of said without saying, but agreed with my husband that like, we wouldn't, I really wouldn't do anything till I felt like we were in a, in a more safer place with like the pregnancy and we made it through the anatomy scan and we just kind of was settling in. Um, and also being careful, you know, just about our privacy and what we're sharing and so on and so forth is we would start the process. So I had an, I, you know, was able to meet with our attorney general's office. I was able to deter, discover through actually Ellen's article, a lot more information. Yay, so that's why like, thank you. It got well, that, me in touch. That last year they did try. They had a push to pass something to reverse the law that currently makes it illegal. And I don't know, I'm curious, where do things stand now? Is there another push? Are you forming well, a coalition? I don't How's it going? We are. It's going. So we are. We're in the. We're in like kind of the infancy, infancy stages of pulling it all together because I made connection with the attorney that you actually comment or that you mentioned in your article, Elizabeth. I can't remember her last name. I was able to connect with her. She's very connected with Senator Warren, which is now Rep, Representative Warren, um, who initiated the bill and kind of just at this point they are kind of getting their ducks in a row. So it wasn't, it's not that it didn't go anywhere Mm -hmm. or it failed. It's just kind of, it's a long game, right? Like it's a huge long game, this whole process of just changing the laws around there. But you know, the really, really far reaching um, implication that a lot of people don't see. And as I advocate for surrogacy in our state and I start kind of rallying the wagons around this concept, I love to when I'm in, you know, in presence of people, my good friends that are all super, like they're wonderful, successful, educated. They think I am lying when I tell them that surrogacy is illegal in the state. They're like, what? How is that even possible? And I'm like, well, 1980s, the law was written, blah, blah, blah. Like I get into the detail. I'm like, it's really true. So just by educating the people and reaching those people, because I feel very passionate about it, obviously, um, our goal is to kind of start to open people's minds up. But the biggest hurdle we have in our state, which a lot of places that are on the cutting edge of, you know, legislation for changing other things around insurance, whatever, like we have to educate people what surrogacy is. Like they don't even know what it is. And people, you, and these are people that even are close to us that we talk to and they're like, Oh, she must need the money. Yeah. Uh, ah, and, but, but, <laughs> and, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's a hard, uh, no. Like, do you know the caliber of these women? I'm like, I'm like, that is such an antiquated mindset, but they, but then it's like, you can't blame them. They don't, it's, it's so 
hocus, nobody even had sees it in our state. So we have a big journey, but the far reaching implications in our state, which I try to explain to everybody, um, is really, it impacts the, the IV or the fertility technology that people, couples that don't need surrogacy, that just need fertility treatment, it impacts what they have access to in our state. And why that is, it's very simple, right? Like if you are, if you graduate and you're a leading fertility endocrinologist and you're one of the, I think my doctor, Dr. Van Kelsey said 35 a year graduate from fellowship, meaning that they can go into their own practice. You're not coming to Michigan, right? Like you're, you, if you're on the cutting edge, you're going to places that have cutting edge technology. And I'm not trying to like say that we don't have fantastic doctors here. That's not my point. We just have pretty dated technology. Yeah. Well, and it's about economics a lot of times. I mean, of course, if a doctor can't sustain a practice, right? If they don't have enough, then yeah. It, it's all about economics. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And it, it's no, it's basic. It's, I mean, and that's the really thing that people sometimes don't see. You know, one of the tricky parts is when we were working with ORM and we had to do just before, like, I got on a plane to fly out to, or, to, um, Oregon to do some things like we had to do some baseline testing and there were, ORM could only find two clinics in the state that they were willing to work with. So, so that is the further reaping implication of why it's important to have just more updated laws around surrogacy in your state. So couples that, and oh, go ahead. If, if we are lucky enough to reach people in Michigan or other people interested in helping the cause, what can they do to join you and help you? That's a great question. They, I was, you know, they can, they can email me. That's the best place. They can call me. They can find me on Instagram. I mean, I'm, I'm open. The biggest thing right now is, you know, we have to have people that are willing to share their story um, in the state because really in order to educate the, the public in, a, in terms of potentially some of the pushback surrogacy law will get, we have to put faces to what this is doing and the discrimination people like myself and my husband are facing in our own state for something that we can't control, which is that's discrimination at its best, right? Like that's what it is. I mean, we're being discriminated against. So that's really what we would be super, super fortunate if people would just share their story that are willing to share it. The call, I mean, I can tell you the call is out there as well for New York, where they have been pushing hard to reverse their negative surrogacy law that says it's illegal to um, compensate a surrogacy in New York as well. Yes. And, um, but you know, New York, fortunately, they're making pretty good progress. Like they're, they, they seem to be like right on the cusp of it, right? They're kind of they've definitely got a lot of support the governor supporting them having the i think it passed uh one one house the house the senate last year and they thought they had the votes and it just didn't come to wasn't brought to the floor i don't understand politics but something that where they were very close exactly so the thing is is obviously now you're dealing in politics right and that's what some people it's like kind of muddying the water between like let's just make babies and now we're politicians like and or having to understand how politics work and you know that's the thing is i'm that's the struggle a lot of people don't see is it's bigger than just we want this bill and all these people want this bill to pass. It's you have to be in kind of in the mix with everything. And obviously in the state of Michigan, much like many other states that happen to be kind of in the Midwest or so I don't even know where the, anyways, the states are, we right now are just fighting for women's reproductive rights in general. So for them to take on something else around women's reproductive rights is just 
it's really being strategic as I guess what I'm trying to say and playing the long game and talking to these people and these politicians that have the ability and the means to get these bills passed and understanding where it falls in their, in their strategy, I guess, for a Well, we are rooting for you and we hope to check back with you in in a bit to find out about the birth of your baby girl and the birth of your your bill. Yes, (laughs) exactly. I feel like we'll definitely be keeping in touch with you and hopefully updating our listeners as well. Yes, please. And keep in touch and anything that you guys need or any other information. I am super happy to send it and it has been an absolute honor um, to just talk to you guys and have time with you. I, just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and how much it means to me. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie, for joining us. And we are rooting for you, for your family and for your state of Michigan. We are behind you and excited to see um, big changes and exciting things. Yes, I think you put your mind to it. And uh, I mean, I, I've definitely talked to you off of the off air as well. And I, I think she I think you got you got big things going for you. So you're, you're going to do great. Uh, huge thank you, as always, to our team. Uh, so to Tyler, Amanda, Ashley, Lexi, Lexi, who come on, Lexi, come back from maternity leave. We miss you. Um, and as always, huge, huge thank to Chris at Work at Bird Studios, who makes us sound incredible and, and does great things with our sound. So thank you all for listening. 